everyone, this is Aileen and welcome to episode 43 of The Music Room. Today I am so excited to be talking with Debbie O'Shea, a friend from Australia who I got to know better when I visited Brisbane in September. Debbie is a wonderful educator and I really think you are going to enjoy this show which is about classroom management. Before we get into that, though, I want to mention that I have a challenge coming up, a free five-day challenge from January 6th through 10th, 2020, which will be about centers. So each day of the challenge, you will receive an email if you sign up for this, and you will also have access to a Facebook group where we will be sharing ideas, and I will also be doing a Facebook Live every day about different aspects of implementing centers in your music room. So if this is something you're interested in, you can sign up by going to bit.ly slash centers challenge, and you can sign up. It's completely free, and then you will receive all those emails and get access to the Facebook group. So once again, that's bit.ly slash centers challenge, and it is from January 6th through 10th, 2020. And if there is one of those days, um, maybe you have a concert or something that you can't participate in that day's content, that's totally fine. You can just catch up later. So I really hope that you'll join me for that. All right. So I would like to give you a little bit of background for Debbie before we jump into the show. Debbie O'Shea is an enthusiastic and experienced music educator. Her qualifications include a Master's of Music Studies, a Graduate Diploma of Music Education, a Bachelor of Education, and the Holy Names Kodai Summer Certificate. Debbie is passionate about supporting music educators through Crescendo Music Education. She has worked as a classroom teacher, primary music specialist, early childhood music teacher, curriculum writer, lecturer, workshop presenter, mass choir conductor, and composer. Debbie has worked with Queensland Catholic Education, Musica Viva in Schools, Music Countess Inn, University of Queensland, and Griffith University. She has been a KMEIA, Kodai Music Education Institute of Australia member since 1981, in the past being newsletter editor, Queensland president, and national vice president. When I visited Australia, I was able to spend quite a bit of time with Debbie as a talk about in the show, actually got to see her teach, which was so cool. So I know firsthand that Debbie has really uh, great connections with her students and is such an engaging teacher. So I think that you will find her interview both informative and entertaining because she's very funny. So here's the show. You are listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. I am so excited to be here talking with Debbie O'Shea. Hi, Debbie. (laughs) Hello, Aileen. (laughs) So, Debbie, can you tell us all about yourself and your music educator journey? Oh, wow. Okay. I've been a music teacher on and off, I'd have to say, for about 38 years now, uh, a long time. So I began training as a primary classroom teacher, but during that time I did a music major. and I find when I think back about my journey as a music educator, the main or signposts, if you like, the really important things in my journey have been people. So when I was doing my music major as part of my primary education training, it was a lady called Pam Burton and we did Kodai as one of the subjects. Mm-hmm. You know, we did a, an off subject and a Delcro subject and they were only fairly small, but I just went, this makes sense. Oh, I wish I had learnt this way. 
oh, and it was like this opening of a door. And it sort of started a journey that's obviously still continuing now. So then I started in the classroom with a really good classroom music teacher that worked in my school. And I started training myself as soon as I finished college. And I haven't stopped training myself. So that was like every Tuesday night and I went and did musicianship, mainly working with an amazing lady that many people know called Judy Johnson. Shout out, Judy. And it was just wonderful. And I got my first music job in a Queensland state school and I've done lots of things. I've worked in a private school in the Catholic system, some curriculum writing. Every now and then I'll duck back to the classroom maybe a part classroom, part music, but music is my love. And working in our state schools, which is our government schools, is my passion because I have that drive. Music is for all. It's not just for the rich people. Mm -hmm. It's not for the elite. It's for all. So that's one of the reasons why state schools are in my heart Mm -hmm. and why We have to make sure we've got really good teachers in our state schools, that they're not all working in private affluent schools. And I'm just a bit of a PD junkie. I attend and run PD. I guess I'm that true lifelong learner. I've just kept training myself right up to my master's degree and haven't stopped. So that is my journey as a music educator. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. So... How would you define behavior management or classroom management? Okay, a definition. I guess it's about what a teacher does in their own classroom to maximise learning and to create the best possible classroom environment. So that allows you to be the most effective. And I also think it allows us to remain sane because it's just such a frantic job that if you don't have good classroom management, all you're being is a behaviour management teacher. All you're doing is herding children and controlling behaviour. You don't actually get to teach anything. So I like I know people do this in different ways. So for me, I think to summarise the way I approach behaviour management or classroom management, because I've been reflecting on this a little bit lately. As I said, lifelong learner, you know, I'm constantly thinking, how can I get better, you know? And I do hope my friends will tell me that once I stop trying to be better, I hope my friends will tell me that, my colleagues, so that I can leave, because you should not be teaching if you're not striving to be better. Mm -hmm. So there we go. So you teachers out there listening, if you're not trying to be better, get out of the job. Okay. (laughs) And I think if they're listening, they are trying to be better, right? Yes, well done. I think I do think it's really important that we try to be better. So my approach is about, I think, summarised, I want the children to be self-motivated, to want to be there and to want to learn. I like to use music as what I'd call a natural management tool, and I think that'll come out a little bit later on. I use humour. Um, a fair bit. I think it's important to be kind. It's all based on relationships and the power of routines. And I think I use those things in a combination to form the basis of my behavior management. And I have seen you teach, which was so awesome to see. So I know that you are very funny and warm and engaging with the students. It was really a beautiful thing to watch. So talk to us about the importance of relationships in the music room. 
Oh, well, first, thank you. It was so exciting having you yeah. in the room. Oh, can I say the kids were on their best behaviour because we had guests. <laughs> You're like, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, I told them afterwards. Oh, thanks, guys. You were great. But, but they normally are good. They're obviously, yeah, yes. But right. anyway, that was very exciting to have you there. Thank you. Well, I do think relationships are everything. If you can get some superficial success and effectiveness, if you don't have those genuine relationships mm -hmm. with kids, I don't think it's all about being their pal. And I think they appreciate having boundaries and knowing the situation and knowing where they stand. So when I say it's about relationships, I don't want people to think I mean, oh, I'm their buddy, I'm their pal. Mm -hmm. Though. I do respect them. I am kind to them. I do trust them. And I expect them to respect me and be kind to me and to trust me. So, it, you know, it's a mutual sort of thing. And they need, I think in music particularly, I think they need to feel safe to take risks. I think if you're asking them to sing in turn around a circle, they have to know it doesn't matter if I don't quite sound perfect I'm not going to be laughed at, you know, so I think that creating that safe environment and that's part of trusting you and trusting each other, it's that whole dynamic. But I think that's what music can do. Music is that emotional subject. It, it speaks to our heart as well as our mind and our fingers and all of those things that music does. So I think we've got a natural connector there in music. Mm -hmm. So I think it's all about relationships. And do you think in your relationship building that a lot of how you build those relationships with students really comes from treating them with kindness, treating them with respect, them knowing that your room is a safe space? Yes, absolutely. And I have known even in some lunch breaks, you know, when the kids, if I happen to not have a rehearsal or be on playground duty or whatever, the kids know it's a safe place that they can come to. I've had a few students with some fairly big friendship problems <laughs> you know, and um, they know they can come to the music room and they'll say, oh, can I do some jobs for you? Could I just play the glockenspiels? Could I just, you know, and, okay. and they know it's a safe place. I actually have this little image in my mind that, my classroom is like the beating heart of my school and I just think that's what the music room is. It's the heart of our school and it's where everyone can belong and everyone can feel loved and everyone feels safe. Now, I know that makes me sound all very airy-fairy, touchy-feely type, but that's <laughs> but it's, it's really genuine. And, you know, even those little ones that... Um, Oh, I think all the teachers out there listening will know what I mean. When you have that little person that you think, I'm trying very hard to connect with you. I'm trying very hard to find something to genuinely respect about you because you're not showing in your behaviour any respect for other people. <laughs> you're doing the wrong thing all the time. You are really getting under my skin. I'm sure we've had one or two of those children. Mm -hmm. But, you know... They're the ones that need our kindness and understanding more than anyone. They are the ones that probably have not been shown that love, kindness, respect. So we need to find even more time to give to those kids. 
Yes, for sure. I love that symbolism of the beating heart of the school. I love it. Mm. All right. So what are some other ways besides relationship building that we can change our mindset to improve classroom management? Right. Well, I think it can be boiled down to a few, and I'm sure this isn't a very comprehensive list, but I was just trying to think of what are the main things we can do to change your mindset or, or about what I think of as an effective mindset. So relationships is one. I think you've got to remind yourself sometimes to be calm. And certainly when I look at past Debbie (laughs) in the music room, past Debbie sometimes got a little angry a little too quickly. Uh And she thought, like, how dare you speak to me like that? But the fact is remaining calm, you have much more control much more control. So even if you tell yourself, be calm, be calm. Yes, what this child is doing is not acceptable on any level, but be calm. I can tackle it calm better than I can if I'm agitated. So be calm. I think that we need to be the example. Mm -hmm. Again, it sounds a bit trite, a bit overdone, but you have to be the example. If you expect respect, you give respect. You know, if a child has a suggestion for something to do or, you know, you listen, you respond the same way you would expect them to listen to you. So I just think you need to be the example. Oh, consistency, consistency. Consistency is the key. If you have a certain consequence for a particular action, if this is a rule, that's the rule. You are consistent with it. The kids know where they stand and they... Okay, like, don't touch the instruments. They're not allowed to come in and play an instrument. Rule. That would drive me insane. I don't care how tempting that tub of boom whackers is. (laughs) They're not coming in and grabbing a boom whacker. That's the rule. So I am consistent with that rule. And the kids get, if somebody does do that, the kids are so indignant. (gasps) So I just think be consistent. They know the rules, you know. I think you need to have high expectations. I'm constantly surprised at what students can and will do. If you expect the best of them, they will give you the best. That old saying, you know, shoot for the stars, you might get to the moon. Mm -hmm. I expect such high standards and I think I get them. I mean, not instantly, but we work at it. But when I look at what my students can do, I go, wow, this is amazing. And half of the reason they do that is I expect them to do it. Right. So I just think high expectations in a kind way, you know, no whips. And, right. <laughs> you know, so I just think high expectations. I think they need to fail and they need to be able to see failure as not failure. They need to see failure as a learning experience Mm -hmm. well that one didn't work very well did it you know how can we improve that or did you better still did you think that worked right and they can say yeah no mm." well what could we do to improve that how could we make that better so it's not about failure it's about learning so when I say allow failure I really mean allow learning to happen and I think that we as teachers and I can say this now as a teacher that's getting a little bit older, we need to keep a really open mind and just to be open to possibilities. To For our own practice, 
but also open to possibilities for what the students can give us and what the students are doing and where the students are coming from and what's happening in society. And we just need to keep an open mind. And I think that if we've got those things, then we've got a really good mindset to tackle the management in your classroom. All right. So what are some easy ways, besides what you just mentioned, that we can improve our classroom management? Okay. Well, there's a few things that you could try. One of the things that's actually just happened to me this past week, I had somebody come in and observe a lesson and she was an official profiler. Now, this is something that happens here in Queensland. It might be Australia. I'm assuming. I don't know. So they observe your lesson and they checklist things. But what was really good about that was it pointed to strengths and areas of improvement and so I think that that's one way you could improve your classroom management is to have an official observation and then you know discuss with that person whether that's an administrator or an outside person or whatever your system is. The other thing is there's a little quick guide, a small little mini book that I've put together about classroom behaviour management and you could look at the list. There's 21 things I've listed in there that I think are useful strategies and I think you can have a look through and like pick two and go I'm going to try these and try them for a period of time and just let them become part of your repertoire and see if they're effective and then say okay that seemed to improve I'm going to try this one now and just add to your little bag of tricks of things that you just do. And I will guide in the show notes So for those of you who are listening, if you go to mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com and click episode 43, then I will put a link to Debbie's awesome guide. It's really comprehensive. It's it's really helpful. Oh, thank you. I tried to write it so that it was an easy read and yet really informative because I was even toying with trying to write something bigger, you know, do a little book. And then I'm going, oh, it's got time to read books. I know. (laughs) If I just do this little quick guide that gives people some really useful strategies, hopefully. So maybe you could try, for example, one of the things I've got listed in the 21 is routines. So you might say, right, I'm going to set up a routine for my lessons and I'm going to stick to that routine for quite some time. You've got to do this for more than like a week. Then the kids get to know what you do and you get so much more done. So if you like, I can tell you the basic routine I've set up in my classroom and it really does help. And people who observe my lessons say, you get a lot done and that's because they know what to do. So a few years ago, I decided that one of my areas that needed improvement was the actual writing. I kept running out of time for kids to write. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the time we went, okay, now where's those sheets of paper and where's that? You know, it was just Mm -hmm. in the too hard basket, Mm -hmm. right? So, of course, we'd write on the board and we'd make rhythms with paddle pop sticks and we did lots of stuff, but... I think children need to put pencil to paper sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I developed these little books, little writing books, and they sit in a certain spot in bags in their classes. The pencils sit in a certain spot, whatever. And I thought, right, so here's my routine. The kids come in and I have a song on the smart board. Mm -hmm. So that song is going. By the end of that song, 
So it could be anything, by the way. It might be a song we're learning for an Anzac ceremony. It might be the song for music canosin. It might be just a song for singing. Sometimes it's actually not even a song. It's a clip like Line Rider, you know, Doodle Chaos, the YouTuber, fabulous. You know, that sort of fun or unusual instruments or the orchestra or it could be anything. But what that does is not only does it not waste time because I'm doing something musical, it gives them a time frame. By the end of that clip, mm-hmm. every child is going to have their book and pencil and it works like magic. So each term, and we have four terms in our school year here in Australia. Mm-hmm. So I have each term I pick two people to hand out books and one to hand out pencils. So if I'm using books and pencils, which is not every lesson, but most, uh-huh. I will say before we even come in, okay, guys, books and pencils go. They come in, they sit, they watch, and the three little people scurry around the room. Right, yeah. And by the, literally by the end of the first three or four minutes of a lesson, we've won done a music activity by watching or listening or singing. Mm-hmm. We have our books and pencils ready for a quick writing activity and that's the way I start my lessons. And I'm not saying it's always exactly the same, but it generally is that pattern and it's just efficient. So find a routine that works for you and you stick to it. And then another one you might like to try is I like using music itself as a reward. So, for example, at the moment, my year threes love the song Money in the Key. It's their favourite. And I will say... We've got to get through a list of things. You might even tell them we're going to do X, Y, Z, you know, we're going to do this, right? If we get through that in time, we're going to spend whatever time's left playing money and the key. Oh, nice, yeah. Yes, and they will do everything in their power to Uh get through the activities uh-huh. especially if it's something you know they're not going to be that keen on. You might have a little assessment task that we've got to finish off or, what you know, whatever. So sometimes using that as a reward. So you might just try those two things mm-hmm. and it might completely change the day-to-day running of your classroom. So there you go. Pick two things and have a go. Yeah, I love it. All right, so you were just talking about using like a singing game as a reward. So what yes. are your thoughts about rewards and consequences and like your typical kind of prize rewards versus something more like a singing game as a reward? Yes, I think absolutely use the music. Use the music. We are at such a big advantage compared to classroom teachers, don't you think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we have music. So I just use it as a reward. Why would you not? It's just the natural joy. And in fact, like they might think of it as a reward, but you're just doing a segment of your lesson. Because <laughs> right. yeah. one of my lesson segments is going to be a singing game, isn't it? Right. At least one. So you're almost tricking them into uh-huh. <laughs> thinking it's a reward. Right. Um, so I think why not use music as a natural reward? Look, I'm not a huge fan of reward systems, points, sticker charts, competitions, you know. Right. But it can work well. And I think sometimes it's good if you've got a particularly difficult class and you're trying all sorts of things, you know, you're just trying to bring the behaviour to a reasonable level. And, and it obviously varies within schools too, within schools and within classes. So you've got to do what works. 
And if a sticker chart or ticks on the board or a class competition, the best grade four class is going to have a whole lesson of games or whatever, basically I'm saying do what works if you're really struggling with behaviour management. Sometimes it works to work in with a class teacher. I have one class at the moment that works on a star system mm-hmm. and five-star behaviour is just the best for them. And the whole class is quite obsessed. And every lesson, the teacher asks me, how was that lesson? How many stars would you give them? Right. And if I forget, believe me, the kids remind me mm-hmm. and I give them, they're always five-star, they're amazing. But there was one lesson earlier where there was a couple of incidents and I said, I'm sorry, kids, I only have to give you three stars. Mm-hmm. And they were devastated. Right, yeah. So it works because that teacher uses it and I plug into that system. Mm-hmm. However, it can also, if you do that just as the norm, I think it can get very confusing because, you know, you're teaching whatever. 24 classes, 30 classes. (laughs) I can't. Now, hold on. Were you the sticker class or you the peg class? Right. Or you the, you know. uh. So I think it's better to keep control of your own classroom management, Uh especially if you have very differing opinions to the class teacher on classroom management. Right. I think it's better to set your own. (laughs) Yeah. So you can read between the lines there. I also think I'm striving for intrinsic motivation is an older word for it. I read a fabulous book. And I said I didn't read books, but I'm actually um, an Audible fan. So I listened to a fabulous book by Daniel Pink called The Third Drive. And here I'll read a little bit from my guide. Pink concludes that there is a deeply human need to direct our own lives to learn and create new things and to do better by ourselves and our world. This third drive or motivation is much more powerful and meaningful than working to earn rewards or working to avoid punishment. Mm -hmm. So like that carrot and the stick, you're working to get the carrot or you're going to be punished and hit with the stick. He believes this third drive within us is much more powerful It was a fascinating book. And I think that when I look back, I think this is what I've been trying to achieve in my classroom. I want the kids to want to learn. I want their natural curiosity to kick in. I want them to want to know what those notes are. I want them to be able to play as a group. So that's what I'm striving for. So that third drive is what I'm trying to plug into. I do believe that there should be consequences, but as much as possible, they should be natural Mm -hmm. consequences. So by that, I mean someone's not following the rules, being really disruptive in a singing game. Again, going back to my mindset, be calm, be be the adult. (laughs) I just say, oh, that's a shame that you're being like that because it means it's ruining the game so you just sit out of the game and when you think you're ready Mm -hmm. to follow the rules come and join back in Mm -hmm. so that's a natural consequence they're doing the wrong thing destroying Mm -hmm. the activity the natural consequence is you can't join in it's not that you bad wicked kitty you go go and write out lines or, you know, not that there's anything wrong if you have to write out lines, but to me, the natural consequence is you can't play if you're not playing right. 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 
another example of what I would call natural consequences is if they're taking a lot of lesson time because you're having to redirect behavior. It's just taking so long to get through what you're doing. Then, I'm sorry, guys, this is taking so much time. If we can't get back on task, we're going to run out of time. Mm -hmm. So um, we're not going to get to play the ukuleles. We're not going to have time to get out the xylophones. And we're not going to be able to practice your compositions in small groups. Something that you know they're really dying to do. A natural consequence is we can't get everything done because you're mucking me around. Right. Um, So that's what I mean by natural consequence. And I think they work like magic. The other thing is, I think this is a big one to learn when you're a new teacher. So all of you new teachers out there in podcast land, make sure you follow through. You've got to, whatever you threaten them with, if I use the word threaten, you know what I mean, you've got to be willing to carry it out. You can't say, you keep behaving like that, I'm going to throw you out the window. No, you're not going to throw them out the window. Don't threaten that. And even the office, I've heard that used so much. You keep behaving like this, I'm going to send you to the office. Right. Don't threaten that if you're not actually going to send them to the office. Right. Yeah. Your office staff will get offside, won't they? If you yeah. Doing that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I think about rewards and consequences, basically. Yeah, great thoughts. So how do you think we could structure our lessons for smoother classroom management? Like as we're writing our lessons and thinking about how a lesson is going to flow, how can we structure it so that the classroom management is smoother? I think one of the things you have to be aware of your main focus or foci of the lessons, knowing in your head, because I know uh, the way that most of us run music lessons in primary schools, for you, elementary schools, you usually don't go in and do one thing. We do, I don't know, I do somewhere depending on the age, but, you know, we're doing six or seven or eight sometimes even up to 10 different things, especially for the really young ones. Mm -hmm. So what you've got to do is keep in mind what's my main focus for this lesson. So in your head, you know that no matter what is happening, I need to get these couple of things done. And you shape your lessons around that so that you've got your periods of concentration and relaxation and that sort of thing. So you actually shape your lessons so that There's classroom management built in, you know, with your transitions and and knowing what you most need to do. You need to give shape to that lesson and have your routines and have your structure because I believe that if you've got something like that in place, you're not stifling creativity. I think you're enabling it because one of the criticisms that I have heard of providing structure within a lesson is that we could stifle the little children's creativity. Well, I've yet to see 25 to 30 little kids in a room, especially a music room, doing anything constructive if it's a free-for-all. Right. You know, they're not going to learn. We need to have structure. Structure in your lesson plans, structure in your routines, and then that enables them to just bloom in this environment Mm -hmm. so i believe structure enables creativity oh there's a thesis in that isn't there or maybe someone's already done it and i think the other thing about having some sort of structure 
and that structure right from lesson planning through to your actual activities and what the kids expect. I think it minimises the need for instructions and directions within the lesson. And in fact, the observation that I had last week in my lesson plan, it actually came up that there was virtually no instructions and given in, I know instructions is the wrong word, but there was very minimal explicit instructions right. because the kids knew what to do. It's more explanations. We played a circle game. They just knew straight away. This is the game. This is the right. rules uh -huh. because we've just set up those expectations mm -hmm. and that just enables maximum learning time. Like we have 30 minute lessons generally. Right. That's not much time. Right. You know, and you really need to make the most of every single minute. So giving those structures means you can make that time to sing and play and move and create mm -hmm. without wasting time on explanations and imposing new routines. So that's some sort of structure to create that smoother classroom yeah. management. All right. So I think I already know this story, but tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> I might have told you this when you were in Australia. And you had a particularly difficult situation <laughs> and how you handled it. Oh, this is, it is one of my favourite stories. And there's a lot of stories in a 38-year teaching career. And I'm sort of proud of it. And when I think back of it, back, and it's 10, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. I think... It actually embodies a lot of what I'm reflecting on now. I remained right. calm. Uh -huh. In a way, I was hooking into my sense of humour. Uh -huh. I was trying to be kind to the child and obviously not giving you actual background, but we're talking a real trauma background, this uh -huh. particular boy. And it was when grade seven we had in primary schools. They're now in high schools in Queensland but so we're talking about a 12 year old boy so I had a class I was fairly new at this school was sitting in class and it was not an easy behavior management situation generally mm -hmm. like most days I went I just feel like I've been hitting my head against a brick wall all day <laughs> oh, it really was tough and I was at that school for 10 years and chalk and cheese by the end I tell you you know you're allowed to have a little pride sometimes and I'm a bit proud anyway this boy walked in late to this lesson he stood in the doorway now I realize we need to make this child friendly so <laughs> can I just say because I do need he did swear at me so can I just say f uh -huh, yeah am I allowed to say yeah. that you're allowed to say okay. that so so all of you people out there in podcast land, you know what that is. And I won't say it. And that way you don't have to do swear warnings. Okay. okay. All right. So the kids are sitting there facing me. I'm in a tiny little room and they're all on the floor and he stands here in the doorway. And he looks at me, nothing else said. In a very loud voice, he says, <laughs> sorry, he goes, my mother told me to tell you to get effed. <laughs> okay. Oh, goodness. I, I'm a little taken aback. The 
this little tough class is sitting facing me and they were gobsmacked. I think they were sort of excited to because they were going, oh, this is awesome. What's going to happen? There was just like a pen could have dropped. Yes. I just had this sense, okay, this is a pivotal moment with uh-huh. me and these kids mm-hmm. in our relationship. See, it's coming. Look, it's all coming back. Full right, yeah. Right. Okay. So I thought, okay, what do I do? Now, obviously, we have some broken school rules. I was aware that this boy was from a very troubled situation. And I was aware that at that time in his life, it was being particularly troubled and all of these things. And I thought in the back of my mind, this is all happening split second. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In the back of my mind, I thought in all seriousness, is it that important that this boy has said to me, my mother told me to tell you, right? Is it, is it really that important in the big scheme of things? Mm-hmm. And the fact is, it's not. And in fact, it's almost a bit funny because it's not, okay, it's not almost, it is funny. It's like, it's not even him telling me to get left. <laughs> His mother is telling him to tell me. Oh okay, so I was very proud of my response. My response was, and I was thinking, how, what do I, do I send him to the office anyway? I just went yeah. and I said, well, you tell your mother, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and then I turned back to the class and just kept doing what I was doing, which I can't even remember what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Probably about to sing a song or we were in the middle of right, a song. Uh-huh. And in peripheral vision, I thought, what is going to happen? Now, yeah, because he was just in the doorway. He just took one step in, went sideways, and sat on the floor, leaning against the wall next to the door. Mm-hmm. And he stayed there for the whole lesson. And I'm going, when? When? There was no drama. He was actually in the classroom. Right. And I could not, in retrospect, have had a better response. Right. And I think so many of us, if that had happened to us, our first instinct would be like, we need to send him to the office. How dare he say that to you? You should not be using language like that. And of course he should not be using language like that for sure. But in that moment, he just needed to know that you accepted him and that you were going to treat him with kindness and respect, even though he wasn't treating you that way, you know? So I think Mm -hmm. what he did was really to help build that relationship and to diffuse the situation. Uh, yes, and of course, at the time, I wasn't really cognizant that <laughs> that's what I was doing. Right, yeah. um, it was really more a, how can I diffuse the right. situation? And it was really the Which, epitome of being calm. You were completely calm. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes for a good story afterwards. It does. And really, and as you say, of course, it's not acceptable to go up and say that to anyone. But when you look at his situation and the life he was living, this is nothing. This is so unimportant. Right. Oh, like, who cares that he used the F word? You know, you've got to keep sight of the bigger picture and of the whole person. So I guess out of my behaviour management type stories in my career, I think that one is my favourite. Yeah. 
get started. <laughs> All right, so which resources would you recommend for those people who are looking to improve their classroom management? Okay, well, I'm really only going to list two, and one is the one that I've just written because I've just written and I like it, and it's a free download. I've done it with a nice, pretty PDF. It's a blog post as well, and the, but the PDF is much prettier and you can download it and hang on to it. So to get that, though, I will warn you, I do ask if you would sign up for my free newsletter because yeah. I really want to keep in touch with people. But I'm sure you'll, you've said you'd pop the link in there. So, yeah, so sure. just grab it, guys. It's free. And even if you don't want my monthly free newsletter, you can even opt out of that. You know, that's all right. But I think that's a good summary. It's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. And the only other thing I'd really recommend is your colleagues. I think the best source of behavior management help tools inspiration emergency help <laughs> it's your colleagues ask your mates email facebook you know uh, there are several teachers that i would email straight away and go oh help me look i've tried this this and this and this kid won't give me an idea give me a new approach I just think we are the best resource for each other, which is why it's just so important, those connections. So I think the best classroom management, behaviour management resource we have is each other. Yes, I agree. Well, I love all of these thoughts, Debbie. Thank you so much. Is there anything else besides what you have shared with us so far that you would like to share? I really think that the most important thing for us as music educators is the connection, well, connections with our students, obviously. Hopefully that's come out through the podcast. But I think connections with each other. I think connecting, networking, supporting, I just, I think it's essential. I started a small business called Crescendo Music Education and that was, it's 20 years old next year. I started it in the year 2000 and I do that part-time. And the whole reason I started that was about connecting and supporting and networking. And I just think that's super, super important. There, there are people that understand when you're going through tough times. We are constantly fighting to keep our position as music educators. Good heavens, we should be so important. And often we're the first thing to be cut when there's budget cuts or there's curriculum pressures. So yeah, we can just get rid of the music. Like seriously, research has proven how important we are. For heaven's sake, we should be the last to go. Listen right. to that. Right. Yeah. Gee, I wish some more people in power listened to your podcasts. We should be the last to go. So we need each other mm -hmm. to support each other. So I really love that connection. And I would love everybody listening to connect with me. I love, I want my circle of embrace to, I just, I think it's really important. That's sort of what I'm about, I think, is supporting each other. Yeah, well, speaking of which, there are a lot of places where people could find you and reach out to you. So tell us where we can find you. One of my favorites is YouTube. I love my, my YouTube channel is so fun. I question myself about this sometimes, but look, I'm just doing it. I do a weekly teaching tip, my hashtag <laughs> teaching tip. Tuesday and I just literally do a short video and pop it on YouTube every week and part of me goes 
you know, why are you doing this? This is silly. And another part of me goes, no, but I want to help. I want to communicate. Sometimes it's about sharing. I think if everybody shared, we would be richer in our work. So sometimes the teaching tip might just be something about lesson planning. It might be about how I use a particular puppet, you know, so it's just meant to be fun. So I love my YouTube channel. There's also some clips that you can use with your kids, reading rhythms and yeah. things like that that are yeah. quite useful. Mm -hmm. And they're actually good for sore throat days. Oh, yeah. So I like my YouTube channel. I have a Crescendo Facebook page and a community group, which I really love being part of that. Of course, my website, it is a um, membership site. Gosh, I couldn't even remember that. Which, can I say, I started in 2003. I've had a membership site yeah. since 2003. So, so to your website, it's like a website with a blog post and that kind of thing. And yes. then register for your membership site as well. Yes. Yes, it's all, it's all on the same, crescendo.com.au, because it's Australia. So if you just go to crescendo.com.au, and there's heaps of resources, but lots of it's free. Mm -hmm. So you can go into the categories and when you click on the various things, it will tell you if it's free or not. It's a fairly new website, a reiteration of my mm -hmm. website. And I like it. It's a piano is the free level. And then there's three levels of an annual paid subscription. So the levels are then you go from piano to forte uh -huh. to fortissimo. Uh -huh. <laughs> and the top level is uh, sforzato. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is cool. If you're on the top level, you get to use my choral music because I've written some little choral pieces and you get the workshop repeats because I run workshops, record them and have them up there. So there's that. And Pinterest, I love Pinterest. Oh, the rabbit hole of Pinterest. And my blog is just attached to my website. I do Twitter. I don't think I do Twitter very well, but I do do Twitter. Yeah. So all of those things, you can find me there. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, before I let you go, can we talk about what we're consuming? Absolutely. So I recently saw two movies. This is not education related at all. But the first movie that we saw a few days ago was Frozen 2 because I have a seven-year-old and a 15-year-old. We all went and my husband and loved it. Absolutely loved it. So for those of you who, even if you, honestly, there were some like uh, parts of the storyline that adults could totally appreciate. So even if you don't have kids, you should go see Frozen 2 <laughs> if you love Disney. But yeah, we really enjoyed that. And then my husband and I watched a movie called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which I think is it's a little bit old. It's been out for a while. I think we saw it on like Netflix or Amazon Prime or something, but it has Ben Stiller and Kristen Wiig. It's like a romantic comedy, but quirky, like just a little different. It's kind of unpredictable and you don't know exactly where it's going. So highly recommend Secret Life of Walter Mitty and Frozen 2. Oh, I want to see them now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to wait till holidays though. Yes. Uh, we're, we're nearly on our big summer break. Yeah. Because you're out. So I, I yes. might shout, shout myself those two movies. Yes. That sounds good. Well, <clears throat> I thought about this one. And what I would do for this one, for your podcast. And I just thought I'd talk about podcasts. So because I have a fair drive to work every day, so minimum 30 minutes each way, 30, 35 mm -hmm. minutes. Mm -hmm. So I have 
over an hour in the car every day, minimum. Yeah. Um, so I've become a podcast audible fanatic. Mm-hmm. Okay. So obviously music education is what I listen to, but I also do a lot of the, I would guess, self-help, self-improvement type mm-hmm. podcasts for business because I run Crescendo and I'm very involved in Kodai committee and working Mm -hmm. for professional development generally, I guess. And there's a few I like, like Michael Hyatt, I love, I listen to him obviously and Amy Porterfield and people like that, love listening to people like that. But I thought I'd mention Brooke Castillo. Mm -hmm. So it's the lifecoachschool.com is where you'll find everything for her just stumbled across, you know, just trying to find various people. And she's been podcasting for a long time. So I went right back to episode one. Mm -hmm. So it's all about life coaching and about, she uses something called the model where you look at a situation that you're in. So a couple of years ago, I was going through some traumatic life events, shall we say. And I was just looking for a different perspective, some help to view things in a different way. And going through her podcasts really, really helped, really helped me to the extent that I think that one day if I had time, (laughs) I'd be really interested in looking into life coaching. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. And I'm not even going to try to put it in a nutshell because I would not do it justice. And I think if I tried to explain it, Brooke Castillo would find me and punish me um, because I wouldn't (laughs) do it justice. But it really, I liked it. It's just giving you a way to look at your life and to be, because my little personal mantra is that I'm always trying to be a better version of me. Uh And I think that that helped me to be a better version of me, working through some of the things that she suggested in her podcast. That's awesome. I will definitely check that out. Well, thank you so much, Debbie. I really enjoyed talking to you, as always. It was nice to see your face, too. We're actually talking through video chat, too. So it was nice to see your face because I've missed you. Yeah, good to see you, too. (laughs) But um, I really think that this episode will be helpful for music teachers as they consider how to improve their classroom management. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's so fabulous to talk to you again, Aileen. All right. Bye, Debbie. Bye.